Well, it's with great pleasure I preach on what I'm going to teach on out of 2 Timothy. I have practiced what we're going to talk about in 2 Timothy for about 40 years. This is the first time I've been able to preach on it. And so I thought, well, God, I need about 10 hours, but I don't think the church would give me 10 hours to talk on these few verses. And so I've had to cut, and God's changed, and everything else. It's definitely been his hand. But before we start, I want to do something a little bit different. I want you to pray silently for several things. I want to pray for a heart that's prepared to hear what's coming. That it's not coming from Bill Seaver, it's coming from God and God alone. Pray for ears to hear. And pray for an opportunity to share some of the things we're going to hear today with someone else. And pray for me that I will speak what God wants him to say. So let's pray for a few minutes and then I'll open us. Father, I acknowledge before you that I'm weak, but when I'm weak, you're strong. I thank you that your word is sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing between soul and spirit. We need it to pierce that way today. Give us ears to hear you. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, I could start off, and I'm going to start off with a question. How would you describe a healthy church? Interesting question to start with. Is it by size? By giving? By diversity? By programs? By impacts? By ministries within and outside? I've been in small churches. And I've been in large churches. I've seen them both struggle for survival. One church I was in in Washington, D.C. had 500 people, representatives and senators from Congress. It had talent everywhere. It failed. It did not survive. But the best definition that I have found recently about a healthy church is by Mark Deaver in the book The Healthy Church. In 2007, he wrote, and he said, A healthy church is a congregation that increasingly displays the character of God is revealed in the Word. I love that definition. Because it doesn't make any difference how large it is. It's 20, 25 people or 2,000 or 10,000. We want to see the character of God. We want to leave this place that we have met with God and we've heard from him. That's what God's people need. That's what a healthy church is. I can go through all the lists. I've read a bunch of the books. And they'll start. But one thing that always is in the first of the list is exponential preaching. That's got to be there. 
And that was one of the reasons I first stepped in Faith, uh, Faith Bible Church several years ago and heard Chris. That draws me to churches. And that should draw everybody that we want here. And there's another, there's the unstuck church. I've ordered that. I haven't gotten it. But it talks about a healthy church too. And it, it talks about growth over time, united, etc. Known for its generosity is one of them. Wow. But in light of that, how do we grow the church? Well, I gave Eric and Bill some thoughts on that this morning. I walked the neighborhood while y'all were in Sunday school. There are ways. You just got to lay aside the old and embrace the new and listen to what God's telling us. One way is to go after the transplants from other states or cities. And Eric said there's roughly about 4,000 coming into the area, not necessarily Oak Ridge. And there's a way to find those 4,000. And we just need someone to pick up the ball and run with it. A second way is with transfers from other churches. We don't want to steal sheep, but sheep will go where the grass is greenest. They always do. And I was in a big church here several years ago in the local area. If I mentioned the name, you would recognize it, 5,000. Left it because the pastor was leaving the word. Cannot take that. The third way is with evangelism and discipleship within our sphere of influence and contacts. And that is what we'll see Paul is admonishing Timothy to do with multiplication and not addition. And you need to realize the early church didn't have many transplants. And there were no transfers. The only way to grow a church was evangelism and discipleship. This is the reason why I've encouraged the elders, take you through a bandtail training. You've got to learn to share your faith. But then you've got to learn to share your faith with an older person and a young kid. You've got to learn to share your faith on an elevator when you only have one minute. There's all sorts of ways to share your faith. That's part of growing and being equipped for the work. So we are going to read, I don't know, 2 Timothy 2, 2, and I'll start verse 15. You are aware of the fact that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Pelagius and Hermogenes. The Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me, and was not ashamed of my change. But when he was in Rome, he eagerly searched for me and found me. The Lord grant to him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you know very well what services he rendered at Ephesus. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Well, the therefore in verse 1 of chapter 2 of 2 Timothy refers back to what he had previously just talked about. Paul got 
how should it be? I wouldn't say deserted, but we had people leave him. They were unfaithful and left. And there was one, Onesiphorus, who stayed with him. Now, I want you to know, when I first started ministry, I started with crusade. It was not on crusade staff at all. I did it as a graduate student working on my Ph.D. We have a lot of time, you know, working on Ph.D.s. No. I made the time because God had sent me there for a reason. Crusade had been kicked off the campus. The only thing there was BSU, which was not sharing their faith. Navigators were only into friendship evangelism, and I'm into any kind of evangelism. I'm about doing it. And so I started sharing my faith all over campus in classes. And there was, I had a group of men that the Lord raised up. Some of them were believers. Some of them were not. And it was exciting to see them become a team, a, a discipleship group that were actively sharing their faith in their own realm. I spent a lot of time with those men and the women that came with them. It was exciting days. And one of the guys came to me a little later. He says, we have this guy, uh, let me give him a name. Got to be a name nobody has in here. Anyway, let's call him Jim. And he says, this guy's a neat guy. He would be a neat guy to disciple. And I spent a little time with him. He was a believer. But he wanted to be comfortable. He did not want to share his faith. You can't be a disciple and be comfortable. Jesus was never comfortable. Comfort is not in his program. And so I told the guys, I says, if one of you wants to pick him up for a while and spend time with him, see if he'll move that way, that's fine. But I can't in the core. And sure enough, that's what happens. So you need to pay attention to those people who are faithful. And you have some faithful people in this church. You have Eric, Bill Walls, David, the elders. You have some great people who provide help and support. Linda, Paul, Chip. You have some great people. Appreciate the people God has given you. And let them know that. I have always appreciated all the men and women I have worked with. And some of those men and women I disciple became professors. They went to seminary and teach in the seminaries now. There are engineers and scientists and businessmen. You never know what God's going to do. And some of them have become missionaries and gone all across the world and involved, serving the Lord. You never know. God just calls us to be faithful where he's planted us. That's all. And I'm sure, if you understand anything about this time, that Paul was coming close to death, his time to die. This is his last letter. And I'm sure Timothy picked that up too, if you read all of 2 Timothy. 
And so he starts off in chapter 2. You, therefore, and the therefore refers to the previous thing, because when you're in the ministry, any kind of ministry, people will leave. People will stay. People will come. God's in control. Let him control it. But you have to be praying. You've got to be a praying church. It's his work, not ours. And notice what Paul writes. You, therefore, my son, my child, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That same word is used in, in Ephesians 6, 10, where Paul writes to the Ephesians, be strong in the Lord. There's no fear in that. Fear undermines faith. It undermines understanding the grace of God. It undermines it all. And we've got to recognize that. Be strong in the grace that is in, our, in Christ Jesus. Paul was Timothy's spiritual father. That's important to note. He was writing him to encourage him, to equip him for the tough task that was ahead. He was passing the baton to Timothy. We all must pass it. If you're not passing baton, you may never have had it. And I love track and field, especially the relays. The 4x400 relay, it's one of the most beautiful relays. And any of the 4x100 relays, they're won or lost by the baton. And a lot of those races are not to the swift. It's those who have practiced the baton pass. It's critical. And so Paul is passing that baton to Timothy. who was not to be empowered by the flesh, not by intellect, by not who you know or who you can manipulate, but by the grace in Christ Jesus. If we just reflect on that grace that we have in Christ Jesus, reflect on how it's been shown in our past, how it's been shown today, how we would like to see it shown in the future, we could rest in him. Because that's what grace allows us to do. It's his work, not ours. Timothy had a rich heritage. His grandmother, Lois, was a believer. And his mother, Eunice, was a believer. Wow. Those kind of families are hard to find now, folks. I don't know if you know. I know because I've been on the college campus and I see some of these kids that come to know the Lord, they have no roots anywhere. And so ministering to them is really different these days. Different, different. You've got to deal with the baggage they come with. It's a challenge, but God can do it. I remember uh, my grandmother, the receiver grandmother, she was a strong believer. And my dad was a believer, but he didn't preach much. He just acted. 
And then I would call my spiritual father a guy by the name of Walt. He was a guy who was in the crusade, and he spent some time with me where I was doing at A&M, and he discipled me. He's gone on. But a neat guy. Appreciate the spiritual fathers you may have. Dr. Alsop has several. I was one. I'm one of them. Have been one of them. But he's had several. People like that are teachable and can be used greatly of God. But you need to understand the situation of Timothy. He was young. If you go to 1 Timothy, Paul makes the comment, you're young. He was prone to sickness. He was timid. He was passive. He was not the perfect guy I would want to disciple. They never are. That's how come when I work with men, I like to do things with them. I would play tennis. Now, I can't play anymore. My shoulder is too messed up. I would play tennis, or we would go fishing, or we would go biking, or running. I would do something with them, or we'd go out to eat. I would do things with them. You have to have that contact to understand and see into their lives. You're not judging them. You're just discerning. That's part of it. And so Paul was encouraging Timothy to develop his gifts and to entrust the treasures which he had been, which he had received from him. Now that word entrust that's mentioned here, that is used about five times in First and Second Timothy, three times in Second Timothy. Entrust, commit. We have something to pass on. Let's pass it on. You older gentlemen, you have experience that can be passed on. Let's do it. Let's do it. The relationship that Paul had with Timothy covered about 20 years. 20 years. That relationship had three phases. Spiritual father, pace setter, teacher, and co-laborer as we see from Romans 16, 21. See, Paul saw Timothy as a co-laborer. He didn't see him underneath. He saw him as a co-laborer. That's what you want to see with men you disciple, and they will pass you. That's not a problem. It's all about fathering the kingdom of God his way through people. During those eight years, and think about this, eight years, they didn't have the written scriptures other than parts of the Old Testament. Timothy verbally heard Paul's sermons repeatedly. Now, I have some students in the past, when I would be teaching statistics, they would not take any notes. You can't learn statistics that way. You've got to write it down. You've got to write down. If you don't take notes, you will not learn it. And Timothy didn't have the privilege to take notes. So he had to hear Paul talk. 
about Jesus and the new old man and the new man and the Spirit of God. He had to listen to that so many times. That's what it takes to learn it by ear only. So after eight years, Timothy was finally released to be a partner in the Lord's ministry. What a great partner. That's what discipleship is all about. Here Paul was approaching death. The end of the divine journey. But he was more focused not on his end, but encouraging Timothy to run with the baton. It's up to Timothy now. Just like it's up to us now. And trust all that you've learned to others. We must do likewise to others. But who are those others? And Timothy's very good about saying who the others are. Faithful men. They must be faithful men and women. That's the first requirement. Faithfulness. And I was reading in a book by Charles Ryrie. If you remember who Charles Ryrie was, he a, was a professor at uh, Dallas Seminary. Never had a class under him, but I've read a lot of his books. And he has one book. He talks about one of the levels of faithfulness is routine faithfulness. And the second level of faithfulness in my book is non-routine. It's crisis faithfulness. If you're not faithful on the routine, you will not be faithful when the crisis comes. That, I guarantee you, is true. So what things do we need to be faithful in? Well, let me give you my short list. Not many of my short lists. I think there's only seven. Listen to the short list. Regular time in the Word and meditation. When you come out of your time in the Word, if God is in control of that time and you're letting Him control of that time, He should speak to you and you should have at least one nugget, one verse that stays with you the rest of the day that you can meditate on. I do that all the time. I don't leave that time in the Word till I have that. And sometimes I have to read that passage several times. I don't read it once and quickly have my coffee out the door. You can't go to God that way. He's not being first. Problems. We're all going to have problems. But we've got to be persistent, not faint-hearted in face of them. Persistent. Work through them. And give yourself a timetable. Hey, God, how do I work through this? Well, Jeremiah says, give me ten days. Give him ten days. Give God ten days to help you work through it. He might not. He may say, I need more time. Maybe you need more time. Be ready for my solution. Prayer. You can't be faint-hearted in prayer. I love what Colossians 4.2 says, if you don't know it. 
He says, devote yourself to prayer. Devote. Keep an alert. Ah, the enemy's there. Keep an alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. You know, if you have an attitude of thanksgiving when you go to God in prayer, bitterness will never have roots. I was walking over here this morning and praying. And I, I was praying. I says, well, God, I sure would like, I know this is a difficult sermon to give, but are you listening? And I know you are. And then this is a little yellow butterfly that was flying all around me. I didn't even, there was no flowers. There was nothing in that yard. It was shambles. You're listening. Have an attitude of thanksgiving. Give thanks. We have to give thanks. We give ground to the enemy if we don't get an attitude of thanksgiving. Fourth thing, good towards others. Acts 10.38 says, Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good. He went about doing good. I got a chance to do good this morning. I take care of some cat, cats in a park, and I know all the park workers. And one of the park workers was driving the, dump, the, the trash truck today, and he stopped to talk. They all stopped to talk with me. That's part of my ministry is ministering to these guys. And this guy happens to be a believer. And he's been through COVID several months ago. His wife's going through it now, just about through with it. He says, it's been tough. He says, look at my hands. His fingers were all swollen. He says, I've been taking a leave to try to deal with the, the hands and the pain there, but it's not working. Oh, that won't work. What do you mean it won't work? I've been there. I got arthritis bad in my thumbs. So I told him what I did. Here's two options. Doing good. Do I get a reward? I'm not after the reward. I'm out. Helping someone. Doing good. You don't worry about. There's no reward. I want no pat. I don't want to see anybody suffer like that. Been there. Uh, one, two, three, four, five. Witnessing. Sharing the gospel. Learn how to share it different ways. Six. Confession and forgiveness. You've got to be in the habit of doing that. Keep short accounts with God. Confess it. Move on. Don't maul. Don't get the enemy get entrenched in that. I was walking out the door this morning. I said, what was the deal? Oh, yeah, my water bowl for one of my cats on my front porch was green. And I had to apologize to the cat. The cat's name is Skitty. He's a, he's a rather wild cat. He's a man's cat. And Skitty, I'm so sorry. So I immediately stopped what I was going to do and changed this water, loved on him, and went on. He's an animal. But I'm in the habit of asking forgiveness and giving thanks. It's got to be a habit, a deep habit. And what I'm talking about here on the routine, they need to be deep habits. 
And the last is good books. I've given the elders a list, uh, and I passed that on to David the other day, a list of books I consider good. And I hope they will post it on our website. But a book is not good unless you can read it again and again and again and again. And I got some books. I have about 40 books or 50 books I will reread every year. Because I've not found anything good come out. I want to be challenged. I want something that pricks me, encourages me to move on, to lay aside this this world, all the distractions, and focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what I want. I want books that do that. And Tozer is one of the best authors. Now, I have some others. But I love to be challenged that way. And so when the crisis situations occur, we seek in prayer, we seek the word, we seek counsel of others, we learn to listen to God's word, his voice, better than ever before. But it's all developed in the routine. And when you're close to people, which I am, I always like to ask questions. How's your quiet time doing? Where are you? You're still in Romans? No! Move on! Get something else! You have a nugget from Romans? The last thing, requalification is they must be able to teach others. doesn't say they have to have the gift of teaching or preaching. They don't have to have those gifts. they just got to be able to teach. And I can teach someone to teach. That's a gift God has given me. I know how to teach, but I know how to teach others to teach. But that implies, if you're going to teach others, they have to want to learn. they got to want to learn. And to learn, you have to be humble enough that you can take the instruction that you need. We've got to want to apply what we learn. We don't want to tickle our ears with lots of truth that just stays in the head. We want to be able to apply it. And we want to use that application to increase in discernment, number three. Tozer says the worst thing about believers in his time and our time, they lack discernment. They don't have any discernment. I agree. I found that with my believing students in my classes. They had no discernment. Do you know everything in statistics is written in the Bible? No, it is. Let me show you. Sampling. Numbers. Deuteronomy. I can take you everywhere. You give me a topic, I can find it in the scriptures. If you're a believer and you're a, being a statistics major, you better know the, everything the Bible has to say about those because that's the transition to sharing the gospel. And fourth, you've got to have opportunities to teach. I've been excited the church has found opportunities for David to teach. We need those opportunities, and we've got to find more of them. 
And people have to be exposed to being able to teach in different venues. Now, that's difficult. Different venues. And the last thing Paul writes, the things which you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. Well, if you go through 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, you'll see all the things Paul talked about. And you go to Ephesus, Ephesians, you'll see some of the similar things and more. He wanted him to be reminded of those things and to teach them. And Paul says in 2 Timothy 2, 4, chapter 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy 2, 4, verse 2, chapter 2, ugh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. Statisticians get twisted by numbers. So you feel better. See? You know I'm, I'm fallible. He says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and, inter- and instruction. Now, look at the number of levels, and I have a profound truth to tell. There was Paul, one level. There was Timothy, second level. Timothy was to do it to the faithful and able to teach. Turn with me now in your Bibles to Judges. That's not on the sheet. No, I forgot to put it on. See, I've made two mistakes, so you know. I'm not perfect. I don't aim to be. My wife would never have married me if she'd known I was perfect. Judges chapter 2. Turn with me there. Chapter 2, start in verse 7. And the Lord ser- and the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua. All the days of Joshua. Now, you remember, Moses discipled Joshua. So we have two levels right there. Joshua would hang at the prayer tent after Moses had moved on. So we have two levels. The people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who survived Joshua, third level, and seen all the great work of the Lord which he had done. Verse 10, And all that generation also would gather to the fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord, and yet not nor yet the work which he had done. It was not passed. The baton was not passed. That's the world we're living in now. The baton of faith has not been passed. This church has a chance to be different. Has a chance to be different. To pass the baton of faith and the responsibility that goes with that. I want to know, when I reach heaven, I'm going to hear the Lord say, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have passed the baton. And I know for Paul, 
he could die knowing he had done what God had called him to do. Let's pray. Father, we uh, confess that we're as weak as can be. If it wasn't for your spirit and your word and your people, we can never be the light and darkness that you want us to be. Help us to pass the baton of faith to the generation now we're in. In Christ's name, amen.